A huge cache of data hacked from Chinese police computer servers has revealed new evidence on how China has treated imprisoned Uyghur Muslims in the country's Xinjiang region. These are the faces China never intended us to see from inside its system of mass incarceration in Xinjiang. The government has long denied its running detention camps for Uyghurs, insisting instead they are vocational schools for willing students. The photos, almost 3,000 of them, show the reality of how whole swathes of Uyghur society have been swept up person by person. The oldest was 73 at the time of her detention, the youngest, just 15. Late last night, the UN's human rights chief released a report accusing the Chinese government of possibly committing crimes against humanity, against minority Muslim Uyghurs in the western province of Xinjiang. The report reiterated much of what the U.S. government and independent researchers have said about Beijing's campaign against the group. But it was the first time the accusations were leveled by the UN. On the banks of the Bosphorus, Uyghur victims of Chinese detention didn't need a UN report to tell them what they'd survived. In this drone video the U.S. believes is authentic, prisoners in blue with shaved heads are kept blindfolded and are led away one police officer per prisoner. Today's report details detentions marked by patterns of torture or other forms of cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment. When the gas chambers of Nazi Germany were discovered, when the industrialized mass murder of Jews was revealed to us, people across the world found themselves repeating two words, never again. Two simple words, a mantra, an important message, a promise that the world will never again let this happen, that it will never again stay silent about large-scale crimes against humanity. But seven decades after the Holocaust, the world is doing the same. A new totalitarian state has emerged a more powerful and ambitious regime than the Nazis, it has spread a deadly virus across the world and is undertaking a cultural and religious genocide at home. The world stands silent. The solemn pledge of never again, lost in history. The People's Republic of China annexed this region in 1949. Mao Zedong took control of Xinjiang to prevent Russia from taking over. At this time, the Uyghur Muslims made up 76% of Xinjiang's population. The Han Chinese, the country's majority ethnic group, accounted for just 6%. Today, Xinjiang is made up of 42% Uyghurs and 40% Han Chinese. The Uyghurs have become victims of forced assimilation. Why? Because controlling Xinjiang is essential for the Chinese regime. It is said that one in three Chinese living in Xinjiang works for the security forces. And one in 10 Uyghur Muslims living in Xinjiang is behind bars. A total of 10 million Muslims are said to live here. Almost 2 million are in jail. Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. I have a special guest on with me for this podcast. Uh, his name is Salih Hudayr, and he is the prime minister in exile of East Turkestan, which is the homeland of the Uyghur Muslims um, who are currently facing a very difficult situation uh, due to the the uh, actions of the Chinese government. Um, Salih, how's it going? 
going well. Thank you for having me. All right. So the you know in the last couple of years, um, the world has been uh, made aware of the situation in East Turkestan. Uh, the Chinese call it uh, Xinjiang. Um, and but it, it, this the issues there have been you know going on for a long time. Uh, but it's just in the last couple of years, there's been uh, some highlighting of this situation. Um, can you talk about? you know, sort of walk us through the origins of this problem uh, and, and, you know, talk about what the Chinese have done to the Uyghur Muslims? Yes. Uh, so, really, um, the ongoing conflict between East Turkestan and China uh, really dates back uh, to the uh, late 19th century. Um, and, in fact, some could even say prior in 1876, uh, as part of the uh, Great Game, uh, or what was known as the Great Game, the Great Power Competition uh, in Central Asia uh, between the Russian Empire and the British Empire, uh, which was in India, um, they uh, East Turkestan got caught in between in, in, in this Great Power Competition, and essentially uh, East Turkestan was. You know, the, the Russians and both the British, uh, for the same reason, not, neither wanted, um, you know, uh, both were fearing that either, you know, the Russians were fearing that the British would get involved in East Turkestan or try to uh, make East Turkestan uh, under its influence, whereas the British were fearing that the Russians would take over East Turkestan uh, like they did with uh, West Turkestan, which is now the independent Central Asian republics. And in that era, uh, both sides decided, you know, <clears throat> let's create a buffer zone. Um, and they uh, supported uh, the Hong Kong Shanghai Banking Corporation, provided uh, the uh, Manchu Qing Dynasty with uh, a very considerable uh, amount of loans to finance their uh, invasion of East Turkestan. And the Russians uh, supplied them with weapons and, uh, you know, uh, uh, foods and other logistical stuff. Um, and in 1876, the Manchu Qing dynasty invaded East Turkestan. Uh, and in 1884, they formally uh, conquered East Turkestan and annexed it as Xinjiang, meaning the colony or the new territory in the Chinese language. However, with the fall of the Manchu Empire in 1911, uh, East Turkestani people, they tried to uh, reestablish East Turkestan's independence, but it wasn't until 1933, November 12, 1933, that the East Turkestani people were uh, formally able to proclaim, um, declare their independence as the East Turkestan Republic. Uh, this initial republic was short-lived, lasting about six months. Uh, it was overthrown on April 16, 1934 uh, by the Soviet Union because they were fearing that an independent East Turkestan would, uh, you know, pr provide safe haven for, you know, other Turkic peoples in West Turkestan and sp uh, spur an independence movement there. Um, in 1944, ironically, uh, the Soviets, uh, because of the geopolitical situation at the time to put pressure on the uh, the Republic of China, the Chinese nationalists uh, in, in terms of 
getting recognition uh, of uh, outer Mongolia's or present-day Mongolia's independence. Um, they supported the East Turkestani people in, uh, you know, uh, rebelling against uh, the Chinese nationalist occupation. And uh, this led to the creation of the second East Turkestan Republic on November 12, 1944. Uh, uh, however, by 1946, the Soviets had already achieved their, you know, um, their objectives. They had gotten the nationalist uh, Republic of China to formally uh, recognize uh, uh, Mongolia's independence. Um, and they've also, you know, got access to the, uh, the uranium and other rare earth minerals that were in East Turkestan. And so they had no use for East Turkestan. So they quietly began to, you know, work with the, uh, the Chinese to try to uh, subvert East Turkestan's independence. And in late 1949, in August of 1949, uh, the top uh, officials, including our president, uh, our uh, uh, general secretary, our foreign minister, our interior minister, our um, defense minister and uh, chief of staff were called to uh, a meeting uh, in the Soviet Union, and they were, you know, subsequently uh, executed by, uh, by the uh, orders of Stalin. However, it was later portrayed, the official narrative was that they died in a plane crash. And uh, furthermore, recently, uh, declassified CIA documents um, that were declassified in 2014 uh, further stated that the uh, Soviet uh, intelligence they assassinated a further 30 senior military officials of the East Turkestan Republic to prevent, you know, um, uh, an organized um, defense against the uh, uh, upcoming Chinese invasion. And like the Russian Empire had supported the Manchu invasion of East Turkestan uh, in 1876, the Soviet Union once again, uh, you know, pr provided logistical uh, and economic support and military support to the newly established People's Republic of China, uh, which launched uh, their uh, official invasion of East Turkestan on, November, on October 12th, uh, 1949. And uh, two months later, on December 22nd, 1949, the East Turkestan Republic was overthrown. And this led to the... Uh, ongoing uh, colonization uh, uh, and what has recently, since post 2014, has proliferated into uh, a whole side, a wholesale genocide campaign against Uyghurs and other Turkic peoples in East Turkestan. Yeah. So, uh, in the the sort of period of the uh, you know where the, the genocide is taking place. Um, well, actually, let, let's go back a little bit before that. Uh, there's been an increasing percentage of, you know, ethnic Han Chinese who now live in East Turkestan. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, since the Chinese invaded East Turkestan in uh, late 1949, they have heavily colonized East Turkestan to where uh, after Mao took over East Turkestan in December of 1949, there was less than, you know, uh, uh, 4% Chinese in East Turkestan. And uh, that was the majority of them were actually the uh, 100,000 PLA troops that marched in and an additional uh, uh, close to 100,000 uh, KMT remnants that had merged with them uh, and, and their families. Um, however, 
uh, within a few years, they, the Chinese began to promote a mass uh, colonization program. And this was actually um, this, this was actually suggested by Stalin. Uh, the Wilson Institute recently uh, declassified um, secret communications between Stalin and, and Mao. And he uh, Stalin suggested that Mao, you know, colonize East Turkestan if, uh, immediately and, um, you know, bring up the Chinese population to at least 30 percent to prevent, you know, the British again, uh, who still had considerable influence in, in South, A uh, South Asia and in India and Pakistan uh, from, you know, uh, you know, supporting East Turkestan in, in regaining its independence and uh, causing problems for both the Soviet Union and, and the, uh, the Chinese. Um, should I can't remember exactly the name of the guy. I think it was a, a Chinese general, and and maybe it was in uh, the early two thousand tens, where he he basically uh, it was some kind of conference, and he was talking about that the Americans could potentially utilize East Turkestan for like. Uh, a, a sort of I don't know if it was an invasion of of China or. The point he was making was that the East Turkestan could be utilized by the West, essentially, to, you know, subvert Chinese uh, goals or whatever it may be. Um, and, and I think that he was probably a, a sort of a, a Chinese nationalist kind of character. Uh, is, yes. is that something you, you hear or? Yeah, that's you're referring to uh, Dai Shu. Um, he's uh, currently he's a PLA general. Um, Air Force General, uh, and he was, a, a, at the time, he gave it the speech, a lecture at China's National Defense University in, the, I believe, December or November of 2009 uh, about the potential, you know, future conflict between China and the United States uh, over the issue of Taiwan. And he stated that um, the if if the United States and China got into a conflict over Taiwan or for or over any other issue into a hot conflict, he said the biggest weakness for China is East Turkestan. And he said that the United States could easily arm, you know, half a million Uyghurs overnight and cut off China's uh, west to east uh, pipelines and energy uh, grids. Um, effectively, um, you know, hindering China's uh, ability to uh, win that war. So he suggested that um, that the Chinese leadership take a, you know, a, a concrete approach to deal with this uh, security threat in their perspective. And he said, on the appearance, we need to push it as, you know, an anti, you know, or as a counterterrorism campaign. But in reality, uh, it's because there, this is a, a uh, a, a huge security risk for us in the event that we get into uh, a future conflict. Um, so he, essentially, that's what the Chinese government uh, has been implementing is uh, right, starting in 2014. Initially, they started arresting men between the ages of 15 and 45, um, you know, men of military age. Um, then once the international community, there was no outcry from the international community. Uh, in fact, even our um, uh, 
for, unfortunately, uh, even the U.S. government at the time or some officials in the U.S. government uh, in 2015 stated that, you know, they supported uh, China's so-called uh, anti-terrorism, uh, counter-terrorism uh, campaign. And this gave China a further green light to, you know, roll out its mass internment and genocidal campaign targeting uh, virtually uh, essentially all, all uh, parts of the population, from women to children to, you know, uh, men uh, alike. Um, over 3 million, according to the U.S. Department of Defense, over 3 million Uyghurs, Kazakhs, and other Turkic peoples were sent into concentration camps with uh, millions more in so-called, you know, uh, counter-extremism uh, centers, uh, essentially prisons. Um, and you had, you know, millions more being, you know, used as slave labor. Hundreds of thousands of East Turkestani women have been sterilized. Over 880,000 uh, Uyghur and other Turkic children have been forcibly separated from their families and taken to essentially, uh, you know, indoctrination camps for children um, or con mini concentration camps for children uh, where they are being instructed to, you know, uh, essentially denounce their own uh, culture, their identity, their religion, to, you know, hate uh, their own people and to grow up as some of the videos that uh, have been uploaded by Chinese instructors themselves, where they are being raised to uh, cultivated to become future soldiers of the People's Liberation Army. Um, this is the sad reality that's happening uh, in East Turkestan right now. Um, and it's it's continuing day by day. Uh, our population is unfortunately decreasing. A lot of people are, are dying in uh, various ways. And of course, the Chinese government has been very effective in, in hiding this information. Uh, they're killing our people through, you know, biological means uh, such as the widespread of tuberculosis across East Turkestan. Uh, East Turkestan has the highest TB rates in the world, and this is something that the World Health Organization and others uh, are not, you know, talking about. Yeah, I saw one of those videos that you mentioned. Um, when I first when I first started, I didn't understand like what exactly I was watching, but um, it was a a Chinese teacher, and uh, it was a young uh, Uyghur kid. A boy uh, in a classroom, and the teacher was, you know, saying these sort of nationalist lines, like, you know, there's only, you know, there's one China, and uh, you know, the leaders uh, Xi Jinping, and and like these kind of things. And then at the end, uh, on this on the video, it says this is a a, a young Uyghur Muslim who's being indoctrinated into the, uh, you know, the Chinese Communist Party ideology. Um, and uh, it's it's quite unfortunate, um, uh, you know. You mentioned the slave labor part. Uh, there were tons of Western companies that were, you know, they have all kind of factories in China, uh, clothing factories, and or you know other other sort of companies. And uh, there was a ton of cotton uh, being you know, produced uh, in, in that region. And uh, there's been over the years, uh, you know, campaigns to sort of decouple from uh, China at large, but in particular companies that are, are getting products from East Turkestan. 
Yes, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, it's not just uh, cotton products. I mean, uh, uh, speaking of cotton, over 90% of China's cotton production comes directly from East Turkestan. Right. Uh, post, you know, 2014, like even, uh, you know, every, the, even the U.S. and other countries are talking about green energy and solar power and all these different things. Um, all of these things, you know, like polysilicon, which is used to make solar panels, uh, over uh, 60% of the global supply uh, production of polysilicon uh, comes from East Turkestan. Prior to 2014, it was not even, uh, you know, 8%. Uh, however, after 2014, from 2014 up to 2019, it pro proliferated to over over 60%. Uh, much of China's natural and mineral resources uh, come from, you know, East Turkestan. Uh, the rare earth minerals, you know, everything from beryllium to lithium uh, to uranium, uh, most of it comes from East Turkestan. East Turkestan's... Uh, uh, energy, whether it's the electricity that's, you know, being uh, uh, taken via, uh, produced via uh, wind, windmills or nuclear energy or all these different things, all of this is coming from East Turkestan and it's powering over 100 large major Chinese cities. And that's why East Turkestan is fundamentally uh, important in terms of, you know, Chinese strategy. Uh, and that's why, like before they, you know, plan to, you know, invade Taiwan, they have to finish off the East Turkestan uh, problem. And they have been, you know, uh, very meticulous at this. And unfortunately, there's not being much done to to stop this. And I, I think many Western strategists and uh, policymakers are completely unaware about the strategic importance of East Turkestan to China's own, you know, uh, security, so-called security interests, and you know the the probability of you know in the event you know if if the U uh, if Taiwan if China invades Taiwan, if I was a military strategist, the first thing I would do is you know uh, you know work with East Turkestan um, and, and put pressure on China's western flank. Um, and China realizes this, and that's why they're engaging in this genocide. And there's literally maybe a decade uh, uh, left for our for East Turkestan to uh, reverse the the situation. Um, if something drastic doesn't happen in the next decade, then uh, it, it'll be game over for us. Because at this rate, uh, with the ongoing genocide coupled with the extensive colonization of East Turkestan. Uh, the East Turkestani people, Uyghurs and other Turkic peoples, uh, are at a very risk uh, of becoming a, a small minority in East Turkestan in the, in the next 10-15 years. So uh, East Turkestan is on China's western border? Yes, uh, it's a very large country, actually. It's uh, roughly 1,828,418 square kilometers, or in the U.S. perspective, um, it's three times the size of Ukraine, two and a half times the size of the U.S. state of Texas. Uh, it borders 10 countries. It has a, a pretty uh, massive GDP, uh, which is larger than the rest of the Central Asian republics combined um, and uh, it you know if if western strategists and western policymakers are, are are more aware of east turkestan they should realize that you know east turkestan uh, could be a bulwark in um you know uh in in, in, in 
put, putting a check on uh, Russia and, and China. Uh, an independent East Turkestan would, you know, bring, you know, uh, 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 prosperity and security to all of, all of the uh, Eurasian continent. Does East Turkestan border parts of Russia as well? Yeah, in the north uh, we border Russia. Uh, in the uh, in the west we border Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan. In the uh, southwest we border uh, uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan. In the south, India and Tibet. And in the east uh, we border uh, China and uh, Mongolia. Mm, okay. Yeah, you know it's um. The U.S. relationship with China is becoming more adversarial, uh, and, and especially post-COVID. Uh, um, uh, you know, th- th- there's now a, a committee on China, um, and, you know, politicians are taking a look at s- sort of all facets of, of the relationship with China. Um, you know, the uh, there's a, a law in China where the any company that's based in China, uh, if the government requests the data of the company, they have to turn it over. So there's a a serious threat for um, sort of spying and espionage, but done by you know civilian companies uh, based out of China. Uh, you know we're seeing some uh, contention now over TikTok and should it be banned. Um, uh, so that you know the 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 dynamic of the relationship is changing um you know i don't know if there's been more talk specifically about east turkestan and about the uyghurs um you know hopefully the you know they they are taking a look at that um have you seen anything changing sort of post covid i mean on on the appearance you know the uh, there is more tougher talk on China, but there's a lack of action. Um, and time is something that is not in, uh, in, in our favor, whether, and I'm, when I mean in our favor, I'm talking about both East Turkestan and the United States. Uh, the longer that we, you know, fail to take, uh, you know, a proper action and, 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 you know, uh, work to, to address the, the existential threat that China poses, to the international community as a whole, the stronger that China is going to get, and the more difficult it's going to be for us to to actually, you know, uh, counter China if if and when uh, we do get into a direct conflict. And at this rate, um, if you know, seeing how things are, I don't think you know China China is not ready to engage in a direct conflict right now because again they they still have a lot of vulnerabilities like East Turkestan that they need to uh, you know completely address and there's like a, about a decade or so for them to complete their uh, wholesale uh, uh, genocide and uh, extensive colonization uh, but at the same time they're you know rapidly developing their military. Uh, and and their uh, economy as well as their foreign policy, uh, you know, isolating the United States, um, you know, building more aircraft carriers to give them uh, naval superiority in the uh, in, in the Pacific. And if that happens, you know, if we wait until China's ready, and at that time, I, I feel that you know the way even in the United States, China's influence is very, uh, you know, it's very. Uh, 
widespread, even into the halls of Congress, unfortunately, um, and even into, you know, other government agencies. From my own experience, uh, uh, it, it looks like if, if, if China is just going to, you know, quietly build itself, uh, you know, in a decade time, I don't think uh, China would, you know, just China would just use its show of force to uh, acquiesce the, uh, the the United States and other Western nations into virtually submitting to Chinese hegemony. And this is a very dangerous situation. So let's talk about your story a bit. Um, you know, maybe if you can just walk us through your life uh, up to this point where you're at now, you know, how you became the prime minister in exile, uh, you know, your sort of family situation and things like that. Yes. Um, so my journey starts in East Turkestan. I was born um, in East Turkestan to uh, a Uyghur uh, uh, business family. Um, my father... Uh, he was a political activist and he was forced to flee East Turkestan in uh, 1996, uh, right before um, the, the Chinese rolled out their um, so-called uh, strike hard campaign against so-called separatism. Um, in After the fall of the Soviet Union uh, and the independence of the Central Asian republics, this um, gave hope to East Turkestan that, you know, we, we too could gain our independence. Um, and this led to a rise in pro-independent sentiments and activism across East Turkestan. And the Chinese government, again, at that time, were fearful that the the Western world, uh, namely the United States, would, uh, you know, support East Turkestan independence. And so they rolled out a, a secret, uh, you know, uh, directive, a 10-point series secret directive in March of 1996 called uh, CCP uh, Central Committee document number seven, in which they clearly instructed that they need to uh, prevent, by all means necessary, the East Turkestan problem from uh, becoming inter internationalized. And this means, you know, boosting their military presence in East Turkestan, as well as infiltrating, dividing and uh, co-opting uh, Uyghur communities and organizations across the world and using China's influence uh, economic and political influence uh, across the world to uh, limit uh, 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 the so-called, you know, separatist activities uh, to the highest degree. Uh, this is the terminology that they they use from they they use directly in that. And immediately after this, they launched the strike hard campaign uh, in 1996. And so a lot of uh, Uyghurs. Uh, uh, who were political activists like my father uh, fled into Central Asia. And in there in Central Asia, they tried to, you know, uh, uh, you know, re uh, to strengthen the uh, uh, and organize the East Turkestan independence uh, movement. But even that, uh, the Chinese worked with the Russians to infiltrate uh, and to uh, divide our uh, national independence movement and fabricated uh, Islamists to uh, hijack our movement and misportray it as, you know, a so-called part of a global international jihadist movement or uh, a movement that is, you know, uh, against the, uh, you know, Western world, uh, meaning that, you know, they're wanting to create a so-called uh, global Islamic caliphate. These types of incidents uh, happened uh, in which the Chinese intelligence, you know, copied off of what the Russians did in Chechnya and effectively, you know, were able to 
destroy the East Turkestan independence movement uh, by by 2001. Um, especially after 9/11 happened, uh, they just said that you, you know they were victims of so-called terrorism and that uh, you know they were fighting against East Turkestani terrorists and this and that. Um, my father fled to the uh, U.S. in uh, 1998 uh, from Central Asia because at the time the uh, Central Asian governments were you know working with China to clamp down on our uh, independence movement. And um, my father came to the U.S. to try to, you know, along with other Uyghurs to try to uh, seek, you know, U.S. support for our cause. But unfortunately, uh, it, it didn't really happen um, as, as we had hoped. And in 2000, uh, June 4th, 2000, actually, I, I came to the United States uh, along with my brothers and sisters and my mother um, as political refugees. And I grew up in Oklahoma. Uh, my uh, childhood dream was to be a, a military officer, to be a general, quite pr precisely. Um, and so I, you know, did ROTC in, in college. I was also a part of the uh, Oklahoma Army National Guard. Um, and fortunately, my military career uh, ended uh, 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 due to uh, 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 kidney issues that I had. And so I ended up studying politics and, you know, trying to uh, do something to help my people. And in 2016, um, this is when there was, you know, the, the election campaign going on and all of the, uh, the politicians at the time, the presidential candidates, you know, they were all talking uh, uh, about, you know, being more tough on China. And so I, I saw this as an opportunity for our people. And I, you know, along with like-minded uh, Uyghurs and Kazakhs who grew up here in the United States, like myself, uh, we created the East Turkestan National Movement to uh, advocate for the political and human rights of East Turkestan's people and to, uh, you know, uh, advocate for uh, restoring East Turkestan's independence. We were the first uh, entity to uh, call on the U.S. and other governments to uh, recognized the genocide in 2018. We were the first entity to uh, push for the Uyghur Policy Act, uh, as well as other um, uh, uh, acts like sanctioning Chinese officials and so forth, and calling on the U.S. government to recognize East Turkestan status as an occupied country. Um, after the U.S. Uh, Congress um, accepted uh, initially my proposal in, in putting forward the Uyghur Policy Act, uh, this uh, led to me becoming uh, more, um, you, you could say, famous or well-known in terms of our diaspora community. And the East Turkestan government in Agajal initially asked me to be their uh, ambassador here in the United States. And then um, after about six months, we had, uh, it was around the time when every four years we have general uh, elections uh, for um, the parliament in exile and the parliament in exile uh, uh, elects a, a new leadership. And so because of my uh, success and because of uh, our, our, my people's support for me, uh, many people, you know, they nominated me as, 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 uh, as someone who should be uh, the leader of the government in exile. And um, in November 12th, uh, 2019, I was uh, elected as the uh, fourth prime minister of the East Turkestan government in exile. Um, the East Turkestan government in exile was formed uh, officially uh, in September 14, 2004, here in Washington, D.C., to uh, uh, advocate uh, uh, 
for East Turkestan's independence. And um, yeah. Okay. And um, do you have, uh, you know, many memories from your time in East Turkestan? Like, do you remember seeing, um, you know, anything, uh, you know, aggression by Chinese uh, personnel, anything like that? Absolutely. Um, so as part of the strike hard campaign that they launched in 1996 and uh, in 1997, in, in February 5th, there was a, a massacre in, in Wulja in East Turkestan in which um, after the execution of 30 uh, East Turkestan independence activists, uh, our people took to the streets to protest uh, uh, against the Chinese government and to you know, demand independence. Uh, and this resulted in a massacre um, and after that, the Chinese government began uh, mass arresting anyone that they uh, suspected of being, uh, uh, you know, having uh, pro-independent sentiments. And one of those people was my um, was my uncle and uh, someone, one of our neighbors or someone, uh, you know, caught him reading a uh, a, a political book, uh, a banned book and reported him and uh, they arrested him. Um, but they raided our house in the middle of the night, my grandparents' house, and uh, you know they pointed guns to everyone's head, including my head, their uh, rifles, and threatened to you know uh, to to kill us if my uncle didn't confess to his crimes. So my uncle, you know, essentially confessed to being part of whatever organization, whatever they wanted to hear, um, and uh, he ended up serving many years in prison because of that. Um, but even beyond that, even like going in school, you know, even in schools, we were we'd be forced to, you know, every morning um, we'd be forced to, you know, uh, attend their little flag raising ceremony and sing the Chinese national anthem and, you know, swear loyalty to the Chinese uh, 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 government and whatnot. Um, I was actually uh, kicked out of school um, because I, 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 w- I wasn't really happy about everything that you know, I, I didn't. I was in a good communist, if if you say. Um, and because my father was in the U.S., we were, uh, you know, and we because we were a wealthy, uh, you know, moderately wealthy family, uh, considered given in East Turkestan, we were able to, you know, bribe our way into getting uh, passports and, and and fleeing into the uh, U.S. Okay. Um... All right, so let's uh, you know, let's talk about some of the the, the conditions uh, and and the uh, you know what people are facing uh, inside these camps. Yeah, so based on the uh, testimonies of uh, former um, you know uh, concentration camp detainees, as well as you know the leaked documents of Chinese uh, government officials. Um, and uh, even uh, satellite imagery analysis and even leaked videos, uh, we know what's happening in the camps is that uh, these people are being taken, Uyghurs and other Turkic peoples are being thrown into these uh, concentration camps, which the Chinese government, uh, you know, in a sick fa- uh, fashion way, is referring to as so-called vocational training or re-education. Um, it's essentially prisons, you know, uh, with high walls, guard towers, um, you know, you have uh, 30, 40 people crammed in, you know, one uh, normal, you know, average cell that would normally hold maybe two, three, at maximum four or five people. 
um, and they're constantly, you know, tortured, uh, they're beaten, they're, you know, uh, starved, um, they're, you know, brainwashed, constantly forced to li listen to, you know, Chinese propaganda, learn Chinese language, um, you know, uh, learn Xi Jinping's thoughts, you know, 16 to 18 hours a day. Um, there are, you know, women and men both uh, are unfortunately uh, subject to uh, rape and other forms of sexual abuse. Um, uh, organs of Uyghurs and other Turkic peoples are being harvested, uh, especially from the young, younger uh, uh, people because the Chinese government is uh, selling their organs, marketing them as so-called halal organs, meaning that, you know, they... Um, uh, uh, they, uh, their dietary, uh, is, is, is dietary restrictions are in line with the Islamic faith, meaning they don't eat pork, they don't drink alcohol and so forth. Um, and they're being sold as halal organs. Uh, their organs are being harvested and sold as halal organs to wealthy uh, Muslims, you know, uh, from, from the Middle East and other places across the world. Um, many people are de are dying in these camps and, uh, again because of the the forced medication and the rapid spread of uh, tuberculosis, the deliberate spread of tuberculosis by the Chinese government, um, and the instances of death that do occur, they're just writing it off as um, you know they died from TB. Um, and in fact, many Uyghurs in recent, uh, after the international community became more about the situation, the Chinese government is releasing them a couple, knowing that they're going to die, releasing them. And then a couple of days later, after they released, they're, they're dying. For example, our representative in, um, in uh, Istanbul, um, her brother, we just learned from a source in, in Central Asia that her brother uh, was released uh, from uh, the concentration camps and uh, about four days afterwards he suddenly died um, because this is the Chinese government is saying oh well they didn't die on our watch but this is how there's m hundreds of instances that we can point to that are happening like this um, and life outside the camps is just as brutal um, in the sense that you know the Chinese government is constantly surveilling Uyghurs to where they're using artificial intelligence. Um, co companies like Hikvision have, you know, cameras that specifically target Uyghurs. Uh, they have, you know, uh, so-called Chinese relatives or Chinese government officials living in the homes of Uyghurs, monitoring their day-to-day -day activities um, as so-called relatives. And according to the Chinese government, it was like uh, 1.2 million Chinese officials were sent into Uyghur homes to, 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 to monitor their activities and to grade their loyalty. And those who scored less than a nine or almost a perfect score were, would have to be, you know, were deemed untrustworthy and had to be sent to so-called re-education in the concentration camps. Um, in many instances, you see, you know, Chinese men in the homes of Uyghur women whose husbands, whose sons have been taken, you know, into these camps or sentenced to, you know, decades in prison for so-called separatism or, you know, extremism or whatever uh, excuse that the Chinese government comes up with. And they're even sleeping in the same bed. Uh, you know, these are pictures per being promoted by the Chinese government state media. Uh, itself. And, you know, 
they're showing a Chinese, you know, group of Chinese men sleeping under the same, you know, covers as, as a Uyghur woman and smiling. Um, you bet those Uyghur women are being raped, you know, by, by the Chinese government uh, it's, uh, officials. Um, on top of that, the Chinese government, you know, is coercing Uyghur, young Uyghur women uh, to marry Chinese men um, and saying that if you don't marry a Chinese man, then, you know, we're going to take your relatives to the concentration camps. If you marry a Chinese man, then you will have proven, you know, loyalty to, to the Chinese state and we won't harm your family, this type of things. Um, essentially, you know, this is state-sponsored rape of Uyghur and other Turkic women, and they're trying to essentially breed out our future existence. Um, and so all of these atrocities, you know, constitute as genocide and crimes against humanity, and it's been recognized as such by the U.S. government, by the uh, parliaments of over a dozen uh, Western nations, and even the United Nations has uh, acknowledged that, you know, that what's happening is crimes against humanity, yet uh, nothing is being done, you know, no meaningful action is being done to meaningfully address this and, and, to, and to stop it. Experts say that China is hoarding a massive amount of food. They will soon have over two-thirds of the globe's corn reserves and over half of its rice and over half of its wheat. But when asked about it, China lies. One China expert says that they, of course, will never admit to something like that. Well, what does China know that we don't? When it comes to global food shortages, China is the canary in the coal mine. You see, China is the world's number one importer of food. They rely on the rest of the world to keep their people fed. So they can't afford to mess up or there will be riots, civil panic, or even worse, over a billion people won't have food to eat. What does this mean for Americans like you and me? Two words, food shortages. That's why it's a smart idea to stock up on a kit of the best-selling Four Patriots survival food. Create your own stockpile of the best-selling Four Patriots survival food kits. It's hand-picked in the USA. The kits are compact and they stack easily. They have different delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners. And their five-star reviews on the website rave about the flavor and taste. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase of Four Patriots survival food by typing in the code RECON at checkout. Just go to fourpatriots.com and use RECON to get 10% off your first purchase of Four Patriots survival food. That's fourpatriots.com. Use the code RECON. Yeah, I mean, that's just, uh, you know, the, the, uh, uh, there's no words. I mean, it's just absolutely disgusting. Um, and it's crazy that, you know, it's happening now and, and uh, it's just sort of allowed to happen. Um, and uh, one thing I would like to touch on is, you know, wh wh what's the response or the, the lack of response from Muslim-majority nations around the world? Well, most of the Muslim-majority nations, you know, um, and, and I, to, to date, I think the only Muslim country to even, you know, condemn China for its um, 
uh, ongoing genocide and atrocities against Uyghurs and other Turkic peoples was Somalia. Um, other than that, other Muslim countries, even Turkey, have been largely silent. In fact, many of them are in extensive cooperation, have extensive intelligence and security cooperation with the Chinese government. Uh, many of the Uyghurs that were residing in Muslim countries like the, uh, in the Middle East, like Egypt, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, uh, Iran, even Turkey, you know, and, and the Central Asian republics, our own brother nations like Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, uh, Tajikistan, and so forth, they uh, forcibly, uh, you know, uh, deported Uyghurs and, and, and sent them back, you know, handed them over to the Chinese, knowing that, you know, they're going to be sent to prisons or uh, uh, to concentration camps or even executed. Um, in, in cases like Pakistan, you know, they hand them over and immediately the Chinese just executes them as soon as they cross the border um, as so-called terrorists. And these, these are like women and children as well. Um, the silence of the Muslim world is just, uh, you know, extremely shameless, beyond shameless. Um, and as I, as I just gave you numerous examples, they are complicit uh, in, in the uh, genocide of Uyghurs and the Turkic peoples more so than, um, you know, mo most others. So you mentioned um, earlier uh, when you were talking about, um, you know, your family, your family's history. Um, you mentioned that there were, you know, the, the Chinese intelligence services uh we're taking action to make it seem like you know the Uyghurs are some sort of terrorist separatist you know movement um can you talk about that a little bit yes uh so this goes back to you know um in the document number uh seven in 1996 um immediately after they rolled out the uh, document number seven in the strike hard campaign um, this was because uh, pro-independence sentiments in East Turkestan had, you know, gotten uh, to, you know, was very prominent. And uh, in Central Asia, like Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, we had uh, pro-independence organizations and activism and even the media, you know, Western and international media at that time, you know, you know, there were constantly articles saying Uyghurs, uh, nationalists are fighting for independence, this and that. Uh, Uyghurs want to, you know, their independence from China. This used to be a nation that was an independent nation. Um, they're calling on the international community to support them and fearing that the international community would actually support um, East Turkestan. Um, and at that time, you know, even the U.S. government and other, you know, Western governments, they were, you know, meeting with Uyghur nationalists, East Turkestani nationalists, and uh, they were, you know, uh, giving us, a, a, you know, tacit support uh, is, is what we could say. And this alarmed China. So they, you know, in the heat of the strike hard campaign where they're supposed to arrest separatists or anyone who has pro-independent sentiments or anyone who's so-called religious extremists, they started releasing a lot of, um, uh, uh uh, you know, uh, so-called, you know, a lot of I Islamists that were in prison um, uh, and sending them off into Afghanistan, into Pakistan initially, which is China's all-weather ally, and then into Afghanistan, where instead of, you know, you know, fighting, instead of saying that we're going to fight against China, these Islamists, they're like, oh, our number one enemy 
is the United States and the Western infidels. And our goal is to, quote, liberate the international, the, the world and spread Islam from, you know, uh, all across the world and plant the Islamic flag, flag on the White House. Um, and, you know, they also assassinated a lot of our uh, leaders, like the nationalist Uyghur, uh, secular nationalist leaders in Central Asia. Um, and, you know, by propagating, you know, by using its, uh, you know, controlled opposition false flags, they, you know, were able to prevent uh, uh, meaningful support from, you know, coming to East Turkestan because many Western countries, when they when they saw that, they're like, oh, my God, you know, these are a bunch of terrorists. They're, you know, with Al Qaeda, they're with these, you know, they're what, what are they doing in Afghanistan? Why are they, you know? Why, instead of focusing on China, why are they declaring that they want to liberate the, wor the, the world and plant, you know, the Islamic flag at the White House? Uh, all of this, you know, was China's, you know, game uh, in cooperation with Russia and Pakistan and even even Turkey. Um, in fact, prior to launching the uh, ongoing campaign of genocide, the the Chinese had a, a, you know a difficulty in convincing the world that they were fighting against so-called you know uh, terrorism, and so what they did is Turkey needed Erdogan needed cannon fodder to fight for Turkey's you know interests in Syria, um, you know against Assad and against the Kurds. So China you know also needed to portray Uyghurs as as terrorists, and uh, it needed to get rid of any potential Uyghurs that had a potential to resist the, uh, you know, the, the planned mass internment campaign, you know, that, that they were going to launch. So what they did is they, you know, Chinese intelligence, you know, the official narrative is they were unaware of 20,000 plus Uyghurs fleeing, you know, crossing, you know, if, if you crossed into Kyrgyzstan or Kazakhstan, which is right across the border, or even Afghanistan, I, you know, that would be, that would have been more believable. But somehow 20,000 Uyghurs, you know, despite the fact that there's checkpoints at every, at, at, at the entrance of every city and exit of every, every city, 20,000 Uyghurs managed to, you know, travel from East Turkestan through China through China, through thousands of miles through China, into Thailand and, you know, Vietnam and then other places where they were then rescued by the Turks and then, re, re, you know, quote, resettled in Turkey, but in reality shipped into Syria uh, where they were, you know, forced to uh, fight alongside, you know, Al Qaeda groups um, and, and some of them even, you know, were forced to join ISIS. And China used that as the best, you know, propaganda saying, oh, we have a, you know, a legitimate terrorism threat. There's Uyghurs in Syria. They're going to want to create an Islamic state in, uh, you know, um, we have we have to fight back against this. So we're, we're, you know, rolling out this campaign to fight against terrorism, etc. Uh, and at the same time, the Chinese intelligence, they carried out false flag attacks. Uh, you know, and started, you know, uh, where their uh, controlled opposition Islamists started, you know, uh, intelligence agents started bomb bombing, you know, uh, civilians in inside China. And um, again, uh, immediately the Chinese are like, oh, yeah, this is the uh, work of the Uyghur terrorists. This is the East Turkestan terrorists doing this. 
uh, when in reality, if you look at, you know, uh, research done by Western uh, uh, security and intelligence experts, Uyghurs prior to that time period, they had never targeted any civilians. They, in all of their, you know, opposition resistance, they always targeted Chinese military and government personnel. Uh, but of course, this was, you know, this is something that China needed to do. And at the same time, um, you had, you know, like the Turkestan Islamic Party, which is the same group that China created in 19, uh, in 1997 by releasing a bunch of Islamists into Afghanistan. Uh, the same group that was claiming that, you know, they're going to liberate the Islam, the, the world and, you know, flourish Islam and plant the Islamic flag on the White House instead of fighting against China because God doesn't ask you uh, what you did for, you know, East Turkestan. In fact, God opposes nationalism uh, and Muslims are not supposed to fight for the independence of a specific country. They're supposed to, quote, fight for, you know, the the the, the, the Islamic liberation of the world and so forth. The same groups, when China did these things, the same groups which are based in Pakistan, which is the biggest, you know, mind-boggling thing in itself. It's like, how is it that an anti-China group is able to operate in Pakistan, which has the strongest political, military, and intelligence ties to China? It's not possible at all. But those groups, immediately after these, you know, uh, false flag attacks carried about by Chinese intelligence, they immediately, you know, uh, used uh, Al Qaeda uh, media to claim, oh yeah, we 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 claim responsibilities for these attacks. You know, we need to, you know, uh, you know, attack the Chinese wherever they are, regardless of who they are. And this effectively, you know, served as propaganda for the Chinese government to portray Uyghurs as, as terrorists. And unfortunately, um, it wasn't until, you know, post 2017 uh, that uh, when the United States and other countries began to really, you know, uh, focus on this issue, that they realized that this was not the case and that, you know, many of these so-called, you know, Uyghurs uh, are actually, you know, most likely, you know, Chinese intelligence operatives or those who have been uh, brainwashed or co-opted by Chinese intelligence operatives. Yeah, that's um, and it's it's so interesting that the the Chinese seem to um, often I feel in, in their sort of propaganda pushes, uh, you know, whether it's uh, you know whatever it may be, uh, it seems that there's always something that's like a glaring uh, sort of contradiction, right? Like, how did all these Uyghurs like you said, move through all the security and and through the, you know, the the most surveilled state on earth or in history, rather, uh, China, right? They have you know all these cameras and and all this crazy security setup, uh, without anyone noticing until they got into these countries and were you know doing these quote unquote uh, terrorist activities. Um, it, I mean, like anyone who knows anything about terrorism and, and, and security and stuff, they, they look at that and, and no one takes it serious. Um, but it, it's just, it's sort of fascinating how they they push their propaganda, whether it makes sense or not, right? Um, okay, so let's talk about, uh, you know, 
what you guys are, are looking at, what you're working on now uh, in terms of, uh, you know, raising awareness or, or fixing, you know, any particular issue as it relates to the, the West or the U.S. government? Yes. Uh, so one of the uh, uh, couple of the issues that we're working on right now is, you know, we 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 have, you know, got the genocide recognition part, but uh, where governments are not upholding their commitments to never again, up, up, upholding their commitments to, you know, uh, the U.N. Genocide Convention to prevent and punish the crime of genocide. Uh, we, you know, have a case against uh, the Chinese leaders at the International Criminal Court. Uh, you see, you know, uh, the Western nations, uh, including the United States, supporting Ukraine's case against Russia, against Russians' leaders, including Putin. Yet, um, you know, they're completely silent on our case uh, at at the International Criminal Court. Even though we initiated this case back in uh, June, July of uh, uh, 2020. Um, before the U.S. even recognized the genocide, uh, before, you know, Russia invaded uh, Ukraine uh, and before the Ukrainians even put their brought their case before before the ICC. So there's like this this double standard uh, is one. Secondly, we're trying to get the U.S. government, U.S. Congress to strengthen, you know, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act to encompass, you know, uh, you know, banning all goods in all that are made in China or made in territories under the control of China, because uh, the current Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act is just limited to East Turkestan. And the Chinese government is uh, working around this, you know, uh, with, because there's a loophole that it, for them, all they have to do is, and which they've already been doing, is transferring Uyghurs out of East Turkestan into Chinese provinces like Gansu, Qinghai, or coastal cities, um, coastal provinces where they are continued to use as slave labor and forced labor. And because they're made, that product is made in Qinghai or Gansu or uh, Guangdong or Shandong or whatever, you know, Chinese province, it doesn't, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act doesn't apply. Uh, so we need to, you know, reinforce this by banning all goods that are made in China, uh, unless, you know, they can prove 100% that these goods are not made with slave or forced labor. Um, Western companies need to, you know, pull out of China because every time we're doing every every cent, you know, that every dollar, let's say, out of every dollar that we spend on buying a made in China product, you know, um, let's say the Chinese government gets maybe 10 cents of that dollar. And out of that 10 cents of do dollar, they might spend, you know, two cents on, you know, suppressing East Turkestanis, enslaving them and, and engaging in genocide. Effectively, by buying made in, you know, China products, we're not only strengthening the Chinese government and facilitating their genocide, we're also strengthening the Chinese military, building the, the Chinese military up through our consuming power to where they are going to use that military in the coming, you know, possibly in the next decade, if not sooner, against the United States itself and the rest of the international community. So we need to completely decouple from China. Um, even as American consumers, we need to, you know, boycott all goods made in China for our own, you know, future. Um, another thing is, 
there's, you know, there's a double standard when it comes to East Turkestan and Tibet. For example, everyone knows about Tibet. The U.S. government uh, officially recognizes Tibet as an occupied country. The U.S. Congress recognizes Tibet as an occupied country. The U.S. government and Congress, you know, they officially recognize and, you know, engage with the Tibetan government in exile. Um, they are calling for the resolution of the Sino-Tibetan conflict. Yet, um, there's... You know, the same thing is not being done for East Turkestan. No one, no American refers to Tibet by the Chinese imposed colonial term Shizang. Yet uh, our government, our media, you know, we use the Chinese colonial term Xinjiang when referring to East Turkestan. This needs to stop. The U.S. government needs to, the U.S. Congress needs to, you know, uh, introduce legislation recognizing East Turkestan as an occupied country, just like Tibet. Um, calling on the U.S. government to, you know, um, uh, engage with the East Turkestan government in exile and to support the East Turkestan government in exile. Um, you know, all of these things need to be done. These are the bare minimum that needs to be done. Uh, they need to, you know, start, you know, educating and, uh, you know, empowering Uyghurs um, here in the United States and other parts of the world. Um, and at the very least, you know, they need to, you know, prepare as a, as 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 a fundamental of military strategy. You know, the best deterrence is being prepared. You know, we don't want to go to war, but the best way to deter war is being prepared for war, and that's how you can effectively deter a conflict from breaking out. And in that regards, the United States needs to, you know, support East Turkestan. You know, the Tibetans they have a ten thousand man Tibetan army in India. Uh, whereas East Turkestan is, we don't have anything. We don't, you know, we, we don't, we literally have nothing. Um, so in, in that regards, you know, the United States needs to look into, you know, supporting East Turkestan on, on all levels. Um, and this needs to happen sooner than later because the clock is literally ticking for us. We have a small window of opportunity, a decade left to, uh, you know, reverse this, genocide, this colonization, this uh, atrocities that is happening to reverse and, and you know, effectively put a stop to the Chinese imperialism and Chinese empire. Um, and East Turkestan is the best deterrence for this. If, if even in the Indo-Pacific, the U.S. is focused on, you know, um, you know, uh, addressing the threat of China uh, in the Indo-Pacific, yet they are forgetting the importance of East Turkestan in that strategy. Whereas the Chinese leadership, they are aware of the importance of East Turkestan to any future potential conflict, and that's why they're engaging in this wholesale genocide. Um, so... I, if I can recall correctly, I think were you in uh, in any kind of contact with the Trump administration as as they were on their way out? Well, uh, we on an official level, um, our, our contact was limited because of you know the diplom dipl diplomatic constraints uh, because we are uh, you know expressively ex exclusively str uh, striving for independence um, but you know we we regularly you know had communication with uh, you know uh, uh, members of the uh, you know lower levels of the Trump administration uh, and other uh, you know members of parliament to uh, you know uh, to raise our issue in fact um, we were the only Uyghur 
organization to call on the U.S. government to recognize the genocide. We 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 were starting doing this in 2018, and it took until you know the last couple days of the Trump administration to finally realize that this was the right thing to do. Um, even other Uyghur, you know, organizations, human rights only organizations, uh, who feel that you know if. Uh, that, you know, who just focus on just the issue of human rights and run away from the issue of, of you know, our political rights. Um, even they were, they, they, they weren't, you know, supportive of, you know, officially recognizing the genocide. Um, and they only started using the term genocide after the U.S. government, months after the U.S. government, um, Recognize, officially recognized the genocide and the new administration, the Biden administration, uh, after they reaffirmed that recognition. Uh, in that regards, I mean, there's different reasons. Even when I was advocating from my own, you know, things that I faced, uh, I, I faced opposition from other Uyghur groups, um, some of them who I believe uh, have been infiltrated or co-opted by uh, and influenced by the Chinese government um, because they were, you know, working meticulously to suppress my pro-independence uh, messaging to, you know, even, you know, having many of their leaders were saying, oh, we shouldn't call it a genocide. Oh, we shouldn't state independence. Oh, we shouldn't, you know, call it concentration camps. We should call it what, what it's officially called, re-education camps, you know, parroting the Chinese government narrative. They even, you know, sent, uh, you know, people to try to uh, threaten me, to uh, uh, seduce me, all of these different things. They even filed a fake lawsuit against me, you know, uh, and had me arrested on false charges of terrorism and all these different things uh, because of my pro-independence uh, uh, messaging. So in this regard, there's, there's, we feel that there's, you know, Chinese influence, which is no doubt. I mean, if, if the Chinese are able to, you know, uh, infiltrate Western governments, Western intelligence agencies, who are who are they to not be able to infiltrate and, uh, you know, uh, 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 an impoverished, you know, marginalized uh, diaspora community like ours? Um, and so that's another issue that uh, the U.S. government needs to address. In fact, before doing anything else. The U.S. government, if they are genuinely, uh, if they want to genuinely consider supporting East Turkestan, the very first thing that they need to do is, is carry out a counterintelligence sweep, uh, figuring out who's who, because not everyone is how they appear. Unfortunately, some of the uh, so-called Uyghur activists, human rights activists, many of them have extensive links to the Chinese Communist Party, or many of them were the children of senior Chinese uh, Communist Party officials or intelligence officials in East Turkestan who actively worked to suppress our independence movement. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I think uh, it was the last month and a half or so, um, uh, or, or maybe even actually, I take that back. Maybe in the last two weeks, even um, there were these, uh, you know, air quotes Chinese police stations uh, around the country. And as I understand it, their main function was to sort of, uh, you know, harass, 
Chinese dissidents or keep Chinese citizens living here in check and, you know, make sure that they're not making political statements or, you know, things like that. Um, so that kind of activity from the Chinese government is well known and documented. Uh, the FBI, I think, opened a case uh, last year um, over a situation where some Chinese dissidents were assaulted um, by what is believed to be, uh, you know, agents of the intelligence service or, or Chinese nationals working on behalf of the Chinese government. So, uh, you know, that's something that should absolutely be looked into, um, you know, if the Chinese government is harassing Uyghurs in the United States, right? Yes, I mean, it, it's they're doing it in a very meticulous way. Um, often, you know, you, you, you hear about reports, you know, of Uyghurs being forced to spy on one another, um, Uyghurs, you know, being coerced to, uh, you know, uh, uh, to, to, you know, report back on, on one another and, you know, um, prevent other Uyghurs from engaging in political activities. And I, I faced this, uh, you know, firsthand. I've experienced this firsthand, you know. Uh, numerous times, not once, but numerous times, to where uh, you know this 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 threat is very real. Um, and in fact, if you if the U.S. you know counterintelligence officials, all they need to do is go look at document number seven from 1996. It clearly lays out in Directive Eight. They say we need to infiltrate, co-opt, and influence you know diaspora communities and groups. Went over the most of them. And then, you know, crush the uh, the separatists and ensure that, you know, using all means necessary, prevent the, you know, East Turkestan problem from becoming international. You don't see other, you know, most Uyghurs don't even most of these human rights appearance. Some of these human rights appearance Uyghurs don't even use the term East Turkestan. Uh, you know, they go out of their way to you know, appease the Chinese government and even in their reports, you know, they'll use new terms like the Uyghur region or China's Xinjiang or exclusively writing, we won't use the term uh, East Turkestan because it's political. Whereas the term East Turkestan, there's three meaning, meanings to it. One, there's a historical context of the term East Turkestan. There's the geographical context of the ter term East Turkestan, and there's the political context of the term East Turkestan. Yet the Chinese term Xinjiang in itself is exclusively political. There's no geographical meaning to it. There's no, you know, historical meaning to it. It's exclusively political. And you have, you know, uh, many, many people are like, oh, we're against colonialism. We're against, you know, imperialism. Yet, they're willing to, you know, use the Chinese political colonial term Xinjiang and reject, you know, the historical geographical uh, term East Turkestan and the political term East Turkestan when referring to the homeland of Uyghurs and the Turk peoples. Yeah, that's crazy to think about. Um, and, you know, that's not I, initially, uh, you know, you and me spoke. Uh, a couple of years ago now at this point um, for the first time. But initially, I didn't realize that there was a difference uh, of ideology and, and purpose of some of the different Uyghur groups until you had uh, brought it up to me. But to think that, um, you know, a, a Uyghur group advocating for the rights of the, the Uyghur people would use the term that the Chinese have for the region, which is Xinjiang, 
is is kind of crazy and and telling all in itself. Like I'm not completely dialed in. I I understand the situation. Um, you know, I know what's happening. I've talked to you a couple times. Um, and from my perspective, you know, I, I wouldn't use that term, especially if I'm talking to you, right, or or to a Uyghur. Uh, but to think that actual Uyghurs use that term is just kind of crazy to me. Well, I mean, the if you if you go prior to you know 2001, um, even Western media, even the U.S. Congress, if you look at congressional records, they use the term "occupied East Turkestan." Even you know historical U.S. government maps use the term "East Turkestan." Uh, it's only after you know China was able to. Uh, you know, implement its uh, CCP uh, direct uh, document number seven and, you know, uh, portray, you know, our, our, our independence movement as a so-called, you know, Islamic movement or whatever other thing that China, you know, uh, w- w- fabricated. Uh, this led to, you know, um, many Uyghurs being, you know, fearful of even using the term East Turkestan, where at, at the same time, um, they also, you know, it's it's quite, it, 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 it's not quite feasible, it is the reality. They, you know, embedded their agents uh, uh, and assets within our diaspora community and tried to keep our people, you know, uh, under check, um, you know, preventing them from engaging in any type of uh, political activity. In fact, up until we founded Etnam in 2017, our, our diaspora community was, you know, dead silent. It was, it was, you know, nobody knew about us because we weren't speaking up. You know, why, why should the West, why should any country care about us if we ourselves are not going to care about our own, you know, future? And that's because, you know, again, they, you know, were able to meticulously instill fear, controlling many of our people through fear, you know, because all of us have relatives back home. Um, another way is to, you know, using, you know, classical intelligence, you know, tactics, you know, buying off people, you know, or seducing them or compromising them, blackmailing them, whatever have you. Um, and this is how they were able to, you know, largely control our diaspora community. And so when we came out as Vietnam, all of a sudden, you know, I, I, I expected China was going to, you know, push back. I expected we were going to, you know, not like the Chinese government or, you know, uh, Chinese, actual Chinese looking, you know, uh, uh, agents or assets of the Chinese government would try to attack us or, you know, um, try to disrupt us. And sadly, uh, more so than them, it was, you know, we other Uyghurs um, who we thought were working for our people's interest because, you know, they're like, oh, we're we're fighting for the rights of Uyghurs. Um, Yet, you know, they're like, oh, we shouldn't say East Turkestan. We shouldn't call it concentration camps. Oh, you know, this is stupid. Like they they tried to say we were anti-American. This is the bullcrap propaganda that our own certain Uyghur groups promoted was that they try to call us anti-American because we were holding daily demonstrations in front of the U.S. Capitol in June 2018 advocating for a Uyghur Policy Act. We weren't out there saying, oh, you know, saying anything anti-American. We were saying, America, we need your help. We're facing a genocide here. You know, do what you do for us, what you did for the Tibetans. 
you know, recognize the genocide, sanction Chinese officials, you know, introduce the Uyghur Policy Act, recognize East Turkestan. How is any of that anti-American? Right. I mean, you know, protesting and, and uh, some of those activities is actually very American. Um, yeah, so, that, I mean, that's just crazy stuff. And um, it, it just goes to show, um, you know, with any any situation uh, where there are organizations that are dealing with a crisis or a... a a, a uh, you know some kind of negative scenario um, not all organizations are created equal right uh, it's something that I've learned over the years um, I, I mean this is completely different but I have friends who are ex uh, US military or ex intelligence American intelligence and they now work in like countering human trafficking right and um and there were some organizations that are very popular in the anti-human trafficking space. Uh, you know, they get a ton of funding from donors and, and whatnot. Uh, but they don't exactly do what they say they do. And uh, it's not it's something that I, I, I would have never realized until I spoke to, you know, people that I know and trust. And they laid out how some of these things work. So just uh, for anyone in the audience... Uh, listening, who's interested in, in uh, learning more about what's going on and, and supporting uh, any of the, uh, you know, uh, you and, and, and or any other organizations, uh, Uyghur organizations, uh, you know, do your research. And uh, some of the things that Salih just laid out, like if they're using the, the Chinese colonial term uh, Xinjiang when they're referring to East Turkestan, uh, that should be a red flag, uh, you know, in itself. Um, okay, so if uh, if uh, if anyone in the audience is interested in following you or you know just keeping up with what you got going on, uh, what's the best way they can do that? Um, they can follow us on on you know Twitter um, uh, at my name Sali Hudayar or at etxalgov. Or ET Awakening, um, and our Twitter accounts have all of our, you know, website uh, information and other contact information. Um, at, at the very least, you know, as as I mentioned earlier, I think we should all uh, things that we can all do as average Americans is to, you know, refrain from, you know, buying uh, products that are made in China. Um, sure, it might be a little bit more, you know, expensive to, you know, buy. Uh, an alternative, but we need to, you know, seek other alternatives that are not made in China, because at the end of the day, by buying made in China, we're, uh, you know, unintentionally or tacitly, uh, uh, you know, funding genocide and, you know, funding, you know, the the, the Chinese military's rise to, you know, threaten our own uh, safety, our own democracy and, and, and freedom. Awesome. Okay, so uh, you know, I appreciate you coming on here today. Uh, you know, the it, it was great talking to you. the The situation is um, it's dire. It's unfortunate. Um, hopefully, with the the sort of you know waking up to uh, 
that China isn't really our allies and and uh, and China does all these negative things when it comes to the U.S. Hopefully, they'll they will include East Turkestan and the Uyghurs in their calculations for how to respond to China. Um, so again, you know, I, I thank you for coming on here and uh, I appreciate you, uh, you know, telling your story and, and talking about the Uyghurs. Thank you for having me.
Thank mm-hmm. you.